This episode of Excelsior Journeys is sponsored by author Michael Beardsley. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for tuning in for over 200 episodes. It's been an amazing run on this show so far, and I hope that you're not only tuning into this show and also subscribing, and also potentially taking advantage of the monthly membership, which allows for access to after-show audio and some video. But I also hope that you're listening to all the other shows that this network offers. We pride ourselves on having shows that are all about inspiring, motivating, celebrating, educating, and even rejuvenating creatives of all kinds. And I hope that you continue to tune in for not only all those eight shows, but also our ninth show, which is coming up on Labor Day weekend. It is the launch of Audio Drama Sunday Theater, which is all about the wonderful world of audio dramas. It will start with Excelsior, the audio journey, which was produced by the 529 club based on my own book. Excelsior is, it was an amazing journey putting that show together. And I'm really, really excited for all of you to listen to that, to that complete audio drama. Once it's released in its complete form. One of the things that I have mentioned quite a bit, on this show and in person is that when I met Carrie Fisher back in 2010, when she did her show Wishful Drinking on Broadway, the one thing that I did not say to her was after meeting her and getting her play, my playbill signed was, by the way, you're the first person that's ever been associated with Star Wars that I've gotten to meet. And I wanted to thank you. That obviously I didn't do that. And obviously I'll never get that opportunity again. But I wanted to always make that a point to remind people that if that if someone is doing some amazing work that out there or has done it in some way that has inspired you, then you have to tell them. And I have the honor of being able to tell that to my latest guest here on Excelsior Journeys. Mr. John Celestri is not only an author and an illustrator and an animator, but He's also responsible for the animation segment, for working on the animation segment of the Star Wars Holiday Special that introduced the world to Boba Fett. And so he is the man that brought Boba Fett to life for the very first time. And to be, to have that, to have that feeling, you know, that's got to be something real, truly amazing, just knowing that, that he is. A, a true element of Star Wars lore. And it's such an amazing feeling to be able to tell John that he is the second person that's associated with Star Wars that I've gotten to thank for being a part of this, of this amazing journey. And I also am proud to say that I am able to allow John 
a, a, an additional platform to share news about his upcoming campaign for his latest work, Bloodwing Fire Fist Angel. I am really excited for all the different stories that John has to tell. I'm really excited for to know about his history in this wonderful world of animation, of illustration and storytelling in general. And it's just a thrill to have him here. So ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week, John Celestri. John, how are you, sir? Thank you, George. Thanks for that, uh, that lovely intro- introduction. And the well, that's, yes. that's, uh, that's, that's something that I, I don't take lightly when it comes to, when it comes to, to people that have, have done something that's connected with me or connected with a great amount of people. Mm-hmm. It's it's our duty to say thank you, because speaking as a creative, that's that sort of feeling when someone comes up to you and you can see that like, oh, this person gets what I've done. They've connected something I've done has connected with them in some way. It wasn't, you know, like we're in this field where you're not getting that so, that instant gratification. You're not getting that sort of immediate feeling that what you're doing is going to make a difference. Yeah. This is not a live, we're not doing, we're not working in front of a live audience. This is not vaudeville. This is not Broadway. Right. We, exactly. we, we, we work on something for, uh, for me, at least it could be months and years even. And then mm-hmm. I only get it, you know, through a visceral, you know, feedback. You know, either mm-hmm. it's other, it's you may hear people talking about it or you, you hear you read critics or what have you. Mm-hmm. And then but no one knows that you're connected with it. Yeah. You know, and that and so that's that's a hard thing to do unless you have a platform like yourself where you, you know, you actually get in and engage with people. But even then you are you're asking for a time delay feedback. There is no instantaneous mm-hmm. reaction. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's something that is, that can be difficult because yeah, this, this show does not immediately go out there into the masses. It's not a, you know, it's a, not a live stream. And even those that, that have been live stream, it's been, I, I know myself as a creative, it's very difficult to really kind of market myself and really kind of push myself out there. So mm-hmm. whenever, whenever something does go on live stream, the, the, immediate audience is very minuscule it finds its it finds its audience over time and just as i'm i'm sure that's you know the case with your with your own work yes very definite but you have to the only way that keeps it keeps you going is enjoy you got to enjoy the process yes and that is that is the biggest thing that moves you are you'd like to make ends meet you like to make sure that you are connecting with people but at the same time if you are doing something that no one's done before or you you have to motivate yourself and keep a spark going, especially you know, writers have to do it, painters mm-hmm. have to do it, you're not feeding off of an audience so that you can get the energy and go back you know, and, right. and, 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 and send it back to them. So there, there's not a circle. It is, it's like you're... You're 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 going through a a, a rabbit a rabbit warren and hoping that you come out to the other end. Yeah, yeah. You have to start off with like your own energy, with your yes. own enthusiasm, with your yeah. own w- with your own passions for something. And the great thing is, is that by you by being a part of of Star Wars lore, 
of bringing the character of Boba Fett to life for the first time. And that right there, that experience, seeing that character and getting, then getting to know that character and then getting to explore that world through other characters that, that they interact with. And all of a sudden that's creating energy within someone else that's mm. creating enthusiasm. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Ooh, that makes me want to create. What can I right. do? And then mm. all of a sudden you have that energy in you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Ooh, I know where I can let my energy out. And then all of a sudden they let that out. And so it's, it's something that it's, it's pretty amazing. Like there's, you know, there, you have to have your own energy to start with, to start your mm-hmm. own process, your own journey. Right. But there are people like yourself that are responsible for a little bit of that energy that's going into all these other people that are making them want to create, that are making them want, want to put their own comic together and see and try to get it, try to get it funded and try to get it out there. So, so the work that, uh, that, that you're doing just as, you know, like, I'm sure that there were others that inspired you oh, yes. to, to do the same, which oh, we'll yeah. be able to get into. But first of all, before we jump into your origin story, tell us a little bit about blood about about the campaign that has just come out. Okay, well, with uh, Bloodwing Fire Fist Angel, it's it's the story of an angel who has been. It's it's it's, it's a story of, of disappointment and of uh, the character is a, a young angel who has been just tossed out it's it's a character who is innocent and promises are broken mm. it's a, a very it's a very interesting i don't have my 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 pitch where's my pitch <laughs> where, 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 where is my uh, my my little pitch here because basically it's all about that it's it's all about revenge it's all about you know when somebody you know, breaks a promise to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disappointment—that's mm. what it's—it's it's about. It's about an angel who's been tossed out of paradise and is a pawn in the game between great creators, the gods of of good, of light, and darkness. They're playing mm. a, a cosmic chess game, and they're using this pawn, this little angel, as their pawn to play with back and Ooh. forth. It's very much like the Book of Job. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yes. How you know? Yeah, basically just trying to either you know, like trying to make them suffer or bring hardship on them to prove yes. a point. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the whole idea is they are playing with this with this 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 innocent angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 basically it's the story of a. They're bored. The, the, mm-hmm. the gods of, of light and, and the god of light and prince of darkness are bored and have decided to play a cosmic game of chess. And instead wow. of using a human like you or I, they mm-hmm. settle on choosing Michael, the youngest angel in existence, as their pawn to play with. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of to the gods. It's just a game to see how this innocent angel can influence mortals. They mm. haven't decided how long this game will go on for, but this poor angel is thrust out of the safety of paradise into the cold, cruel world of mortals. Wow. Now, is is the age of the angel really, you know, was that a, a key factor because they're so... Yeah, because you, you, because so, what you do yeah. is you have someone who is... 
look at it this way. When we are born, we are the most innocent. This is what it is. Yeah. It's birth. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, so you have an angel that's just tossed. What's, <sighs> what, what, what did you know when you got out there? What, what do you feel like? You, you, you know, as soon as you come out, you're yelling and screaming and you mm-hmm. don't know, you, can, you don't know what's going on. Where were you? You were someplace else. You were yeah. safe. You know, wow. you were, you, and then suddenly you're birthed and yeah. everything is suddenly like you are bombarded. And yeah. you don't know what to do. Wow. wow that, that and that's the great. whole idea of making it the most, the youngest and most innocent angel. Mm-hmm. That's that, that, that was, that it was very a definite thing. I mean, as, as, as far as I have a, I have a, a line that I say, you know, like many books later, cause I, this is the first book I'm doing, but yeah. um, one of the things when, you know, when, when, when the, the angel, when Michael is, you know, has uh, is seen in in, hum- in semi-human form. You know, in in semi-immortal form. Mm-hmm. Um, the they think you know the they think that it's a fourteen-year-old girl. Mm. Well, but but you know, Michael is saying, "I'm fourteen. I am. I have been. I'm older than your existence." You know, I've been gone. I've been ex- in existence for for trillions of years. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm an angel. But no one will believe. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, the whole idea of a of of the of age is there, mm. but you know, so that sounds that sounds fabulous, and that sounds really you know really great to explore in this comic that. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just seeing like the, the little, the pieces of artwork that you, that you have, like there is a, just an amazing world of imagination in there. And just a, something that I think that a lot of people will really respond to. Yeah. Uh, just having like, having seen like the, the samples that you've provided, you know, on, on social media. It's really interesting. Oh, thank you. I, I think yeah. the thing, what I'd like to do is with, with, with something like with, with independent comics, and with the aspect of of doing of not having to think about well it will this fit in the superman <laughs> you know <laughs> world or universe creating your own thing you know, that's where we talk about you know being self motivated and yeah. creating your own material doing it and then expressing yourself you can then you know uh, think about themes that you know that commercial Bean counters suits would never want to to see. That's what yeah. art is is, and it's expressing yeah. something that isn't may not be commercial, but you know what? It's as viable, it's, a, it's as important, and as critical as anything else. I mean, for example, when in, and I just want to finish the thought here is yeah, of course. You know when when Michael has been tossed out, hurled through the cosmos. Mm-hmm. In so doing, the creator breaks the promise to angels, which is mm-hmm. obey my rules and you will always be safe. That mm-hmm. action momentarily tears the fabric of the universe, ripping it apart and then snaps it back together, but in a way that changes everything. Wow. Now what is right? Now what is wrong? Michael must develop a new moral compass. Oof. A new moral compass. That's that's wild. That's uh, and that's one of those things that 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 so many people thought 
you know, like, you know, w- would have no place in these kids books. Yeah. You know, and, but these kinds of stories and, you know, some, and the others before it really bring a whole new dimension to this wonderful art of comics, mm-hmm. of, of comic books and everything. Yes. And, and it's, re- and I, I always welcome that. I think that's, that's, a, that's a truly wonderful thing because it really is an amazing art, art form. And the more it can get explored, the more you can really see like what, you can you can do with this and just the better it is for everyone because that all of a sudden just like opens up the floodgates for so many other people like i said before that sort of energy will attract will manifest itself in other people mm-hmm. that are going to read stories like this mm-hmm. and want to say like what what kind of stories do i have in me you mean it it doesn't just have to be confined to 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 you know like something like superman or or something like Batman or, you know, something like, you know, the Avengers or something, you know, just the tip, the typical superheroes. And I'm, and I'm not down denigrating the superheroes at all. They're what, you know, they, they, they got us on the road to to where we are right now. But you know what? I mean, let's, let's look at it this way. By, by today's standards, Superman in the first stories was a social justice warrior in a sense that he was, this was the depression. Mm -hmm. Superman is a depression developed character in yeah. 1930s and so therefore you needed somebody to protect you someone yeah. who would would stand up for the downtrodden it's it's from the, the grapes of wrath material mm-hmm. because yeah. basically superman is a alien who arrives unimpo- in, you know, in the shores you know in the united states mm-hmm. and is has to hide his own identity because he's different from everybody else. But yeah. because he has the powers that are, you know, I mean, he can leap tall buildings. He could, he's stronger than a lot of things. He could do a lot of material, but he uses it to help people who are powerless. And not only that, but yeah, he was in, you know, like just looking at playing onto that, you know, like everything that he was doing in action comics, number one, yeah. You know, sticking up for, you know, sticking up for the downtrodden against like crooked businessmen. Mm-hmm. And what do we have now? 85 years later, yeah. we have th- we have this stoppage, this historic work stoppage that's going on right now with the Writers Guild, with the Screen Actors mm-hmm. Guild and everything because of the very people that Superman was protecting us from 85 years ago. So it's it's, it's a never-ending story. Yeah. It, 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 it is an ever end. It's a never-ending story because humanity does not pass on their knowledge from one generation to another by right. way of genetic. It's mm-hmm. not like you learn and then and then what you've learned, you pat, you're able to already you know, pass it on through some sort of in, in vitro fertilization, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like that at all. No, yeah. you know, everybody is learning from, from, from ground one. But yeah. the problem is that within society, it changes, but it's a very slow change. And those people who are on the top don't want the people below to be able to you know, drop their power. Because yeah. basically, you still have a mindset of, I am an aristocrat, 
I should have more than you because I was born to it. Yeah. Or I have more power than you do. So therefore, I should be able, I'll, I'll lower the hammer on you because I can. Yeah. It's like what Irving Thalberg said when he said that the writer is the most important part of filmmaking and they must never know that. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, yeah. So, so speaking of which, so speaking of history, let's, let's talk a little bit about yours because one of the things that I love to discuss here on the show is what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in time when you experience something, read something, meet someone or something. And it, and it sets you on that path and makes you want to say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the field I want to be in. What was it that came first for you? And how did that happen? Okay. There are two, I, just to connect those two, the, 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 there are two points. Mm-hmm. The first point was when a visitor from that I'd never met, and it was it was a, it was a, a a distant relative came to see the birth of my my younger brother. Okay, mm-hmm. he was about maybe two, and it was the first time I saw someone draw. Mm. And this guy, this 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 cousin, you know, drew Mickey Mouse for me, and that was the yeah. first time I saw that. And so I was maybe about three years mm. old. Okay, yeah. and I went, oh wow, and then I remember. My dad, seeing that, he he drew a picture of a soldier, but I thought Ooh. he didn't have the same. He had my my dad was a draftsman mm-hmm. of the old school where you were a. He worked on 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 plans for ships, mm-hmm. things of that sort. So that those were the days where you hand traced, you know, your plans because you were you had to draw the, these. You didn't have you know, photography and things of that. When you rolled up those, those plans, they were mm-hmm. all drawn. They were all hand traced, hand drawn, mm. worked that way. So he worked on that way. But he, so he had a very hand and eye coordination was very strong with mm-hmm. that. But you see, the thing is, he got it from his father, who was a barber. In, really? In, yeah, a barber in in Wheeling, West West Virginia, or Bel Air, Ohio. You know, mm-hmm. you know, from like the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties. You know, when you're when you're in your cutting somebody shaving a, a a coal miner, you know, mm-hmm. and giving them a close shave with a straight edge. Back then, you better mm-hmm. have a very good hand. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I my hand and eye coordination comes from that. It comes from the celestry. Uh, mm-hmm. Branch of the family because that's this was a a celestry, yeah. Um, who was doing the drawings so anyway? So that was the first time I got I got it. So I was always wanting to be a draw a, a cartoonist since then. From that mm-hmm. from the age of three, whatever, and and all the way up until and uh, through various co- permutations of trying to do comic books. You know, wanted to be a comic strip artist. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a writer. I liked you know I liked Broadway shows. I would read stories. I would read plays. I would yeah. read Broadway musicals. I mean, the scripts, because that right. fascinated yeah. me, that sort of thing. Wanted to be an actor. Always thought, you know, I could do some acting. I'd like to do that on, you know, try to do that in, you know, in, in the little theater group in the in college. But that never worked out because I didn't have time for that. So anyway, but Broadway, writing, drawing, t- storytelling, all that came together when I realized that 
I was at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts. It was it was the fiftieth. It was fifty years ago, or mm-hmm. is it sixty years ago now? Whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> the retrospect of Disney. It was the nineteen. It was the nineteen seventy two in Lincoln Center. Alice Tully Hall had gone to see the screening of 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 of, of Peter Pan because it was Ooh. one of my favorite cartoons as as a kid. So I went there because I was living in Manhattan at the time. Mm-hmm. And went there and and at, I, I'll tell you exactly the scene it was. It's it's somewhere. It's right at, right at the beginning. It's probably about nine o'clock at night. <laughs> the reason I say mm-hmm. that is because I know what the screening time was for yeah. that. It was about about eight thirty or so. And there, Peter Pan, Wendy, and the boys are flying over London. And I said, yeah. I want to do that. Oh, so that. That's the epitome of a lightning bolt moment because that yeah. was just like seeing that picture just like right in front of you. And I and I remember going to Lincoln Center myself in 2006 to see a John Williams concert. Okay. And it was my first time ever, you know, like being in the same space with John Williams. You know, like that was just an amazing experience anyway. And but yeah, I mean, just like, you know, so those kinds of theaters, yeah. you know, that it's it's very easy to get swept up in a moment. And from knowing that shot too, yeah. so like the shot of like Big Ben in the background and everything, yep, like yep, yep. And yeah, yeah, and it's as they're flying over. When you, it's from their point of view that they're flying over. Yeah. you know, and wow. so that's that's it. You know, yeah. That, so that's and it's like, I said, okay, boom, yeah, that's boom. because yeah. I didn't, I really didn't think about doing animation, yeah, before that, and so I'm about twenty three. 22 mm-hmm. years old still. Yeah. And so it was at that point that I decided I want to pursue this. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, so now you had the vision, you had the, the moment mm-hmm. you knew what you wanted to do right there. Mm-hmm. What were the steps you took to leave? Like, like, you know, walking out of that theater, I'm sure you were yeah. a transformed person. Yeah. So, was it the next morning? That's when you started seeing like, what can I do to get there? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I, I did that. The, the, the interesting thing that came to come to come together was the, the fact that I was working for the New York Athletic Club, the magazine mm-hmm. staff, the how the, mm-hmm. they had a house magazine called the Winged Foot. And so I was part of, I, I, I was sort of like the gopher, but also I did layouts. I drew and I did the drawing. So my, at that time, just before that, in fact, the the editor the editor sent me down to the gym where the American Olympic fencing team was practicing, and he told me do some sketches of of what was going on. So I was sent down there with a pad and pencil, and for the first time, I started doing. Well, I said I can't do these completed sketches, so I just do as fast as possible. Yeah, I'm self taught as an artist. I didn't go to school for it. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just sketching away and drawing and doing it fast. And I said, I came back with, with several pages of it. And I, I said, okay, if Fred, his name was Fred Jarvis. And I said, this is the best I could do. I, I couldn't do any, any, any completed sketches. And he looked and he says, no, these are perfect. It just captures the action. That nice. is what an animator does is mm-hmm. captures attitude and action with That's as great. few lines as possible. And you have mm-hmm. to be able to pick that out and, you know, stop motion, everything, you know, yeah. at a certain point, you're just going. To... So anyway, 
So I had already, I was already knowing that I could do that. So what yeah. I did was I said, okay, what schools are there in the New York area? Or, you know, where can I, where can I learn this? Where can I go mm-hmm. learn this? And I, and I did some research and I just found that, that in terms of schooling, there were only two schools and universities or colleges that actually gave animation lessons. And yeah. one was in Oakville, Ontario, a Sheridan mm-hmm. College. And the other one was CalArts, mm-hmm. which was which is out in California. So I yeah. want to say, okay, what, what, what about that? So the School of Visual Art had a six-week, well, it was one-night-a-week summer class. Mm. And so that's what I did. I, t- I took that. As, nice. And that was the basics where I started learning about mechanics, exposure sheets, and whatnot. But I also did my first animation. Well, well, also at the same time, let, let me just backtrack a little bit to, before yeah. I got to that. The first thing I did was I went out and got a Elmo. Yes, it's it's down over there. It's an Elmo Dual Eight editing machine. Oh, nice! You know, I've got, I've got it there. It's a, it was a plastic thing, but what it is, you had a it was a little movieola, and then you could mm-hmm. buy back then. Real, real tapes, you know, just of the 24 frames per second of, mm-hmm. uh, of sections of, of, from, of Disney films. Oh, cool. at home. Yeah. And, and so anyway, so, so that's what I did. I bought uh, as many as I could of Disney and some live action stuff just to study. And what I did was I studied it frame by frame. Oh, wow. And so I learned, I learned that I learning, learning all stuff, how to do that. And then, so at the same time, so I, it was a crash course that I was doing for myself when I was learning this. I cut out my own animation table. It was a squared off thing. And we, we, a friend, a friend of mine helped me with, to, to put it together or cut out. I had a drawing board, drawing table, you Mm -hmm. cut it out and then plunk some plastic glass underneath it. We built a light board, a light table. There were some, there were books that, you know, and these were small companies, you know, more small books. People didn't understand animation. They didn't, it wasn't anything to do. So you right. had to really do it from scratch. Yeah. You build everything you buy. So anyway, so I got my first, my first animation and I did that for school for the, for this class and six, after like the first so I was doing, we learned how to shoot the camera, which was an old Oxberry, which is about a seven foot tall camera. <laughs> and you <laughs> learned how to cal- calibrate and, and shoot everything that way. So I did my yeah. first, my first bit of film, about, about a, it was like a 30 second or a 45 second film. And I shot, did it all and shot it. And I did it all in, in four weeks and, and, had it, you know, we put it to the, I got it developed and they, my professor who was teaching it, he was an old, Gil Moret, he was an old Mighty Mouse, Terry Toons and, and, and Fleischer famous studio storyboard artist layout. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was, well, you remember New York had all of the old, they had Paramount, they had, and Terry Toons. Mm -hmm. They were all, they were there. I think. Yeah. uh, And so, New York animation was really where New York was where animation, you know, really was started. So therefore you had all of these studios there and they had all of these guys 
who were there. And uh, so you did, so he was, he was giving our, us classes and, and that was it. You know, it was like a, a two hour a night class. And I did my first reel. I, I, we, we, we ran it. And within the first five seconds, he said, did you ever animate before? And I said, <laughs> no, this is the first thing. He says, you got the talent for this because I was doing split timings, ones and twos and threes. I was doing all kinds of stuff, which was my thing, timing. Timing yeah. is one of the first things you well, you have to have naturally, but it's also one of the last things that comes to an animator to really have it at your at, at your fingertips. I'm sorry, I'm going on and on and on. No, this is great because like that's you know that's something that I myself have never even thought about. You know, like when it comes to when it comes to getting an animation, like something like that is is amazing. Just like the fact that you you said that like that timing is the last thing that that they learn that anim- so many animators learn, but it sounds like you already had that instinct yes. in you when you started. Yes. It's very musical. It's rhythm. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, if you, and it plays right into what you were, what you were reading when you were a kid, yes. when you were growing up, you yes. read, you know, by reading all those musicals and everything and listening to them and getting absorbed in them and everything, you can't help but develop rhythm. Yes. It's all right there. It's like dance. Right yeah. yeah. Everybody has their own rhythm. You know, you can, you can hit it. There's a musical thing. Okay. There is, there is music theory and how mm-hmm. to write and how to write music without ever hearing it. Right. You, you understand what the rhythms are and what the sounds should be. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, the yeah. same thing is with timing of a, an exposure sheet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's musical bars. It's like, you know, if you understand what kind of beats you want to work to, you can mm-hmm. rock, you can, you can plot out basically what the timing is and you can do it musically and then understand what you do. Every, at, 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 you know, you, you could figure out what your timing is, you know, musically, but mm-hmm. you could do it through, through movement. Yeah. You know, there's a whole rhythm. I mean, so, so anyway, yeah, there's the, the two are, two are in, intrinsically, they're, they're connected. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's fantastic. And so as you were getting like more of a handle on this, on this art, were there other, you know, like movies that were coming? Cause the seventies, the seventies and you know, like early eighties, there was a lot of different experiments going on in animation. Like that was around the time when, Bakshi comes, you know, comes out with yeah. you know, like Fritz the cat, you know, and yeah. with his, his take on Robert Crumb. Yeah. And then you have obviously in 81, you have heavy metal coming out and which is like one of the ultimate midnight movies, you know, that, uh, and I remember hearing like the, hearing from, you know, everyone behind the scenes there, you know, they weren't a- animators by trade or anything like they weren't, they weren't, they didn't have that mindset. They were storytellers, they were filmmakers, but you know, they had to basically just kind of pick all that up on the fly. And it, and it shows, like it gives that kind of matic quality that works with it. Were there any other, were there any, you know, specific movies that were coming out that was just like, that was making you like want to continue on to, to your involvement in it? Well, the thing about it is that I was always, I was looking for where I could, what was it? How I'm 23 years old and I'm looking for something to latch on to with my, drawing ability 
and yeah. I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And and when one guy, a, a local, one of my friends on, on on the block, he was an older older artist, and he mm-hmm. used to draw stuff for you know he would draw back in the, in the day of TV, the news would have caricatured or, or drawings of various personalities and of politicians and whatnot, and they would run those slides versus you know pictures. Yeah, or actual photographs. So he was one of those guys, and he would. That's what his his thing was. But he said, mm-hmm. "You and I, 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 I am going to mangle this word, okay? Because this yeah. is from back, like you know, we're talking about nineteen nineteen seventy two. He says, "Your and it's it's a Yiddish thing, maybe a, a word, what have you? I think it's you have your thing is a you you have a folk." Or something, which that's your talent. That's your thing. That's part of you. Yeah. And that's your animation is your folk. I mean, I'm, I'm mangling it some yeah. way. Anyway, so, but I was drawn. I really was attracted to it very much. So, so I really wanted to do that because, you know, I grew up. I grew up with watching TV from the age of one. Mm-hmm. I because we we had one of the first TV sets in my in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, so it's oh, 1950. Nice. Yeah, and so I walk. I grew up with Popeye on TV. I on Bugs Bunny, Mighty Mouse. Everything was there, and that's what was my attraction. So, mm-hmm. so I, I I kept kept going in that in, in that way. But the what I what I had to do was find out. I just had I just trained myself basically mm-hmm. and I'd go from one studio to another with my portfolio looking for a chance to do something I would show my reel mm-hmm. and to the various how you know the I would do some more work and you know come up with something else and for 2 years I really I slept my my portfolio and reel from from commercial house to a commercial house mm-hmm. and what I didn't know understand was that there hadn't been a new a, a new group of animators in 20 years. Wow. So because since Terry Toons let go and mm-hmm. and the Paramount Animation Studio, the only places that did work basically were the commercial houses. Right. They all knew each other. And the animation industry in New York was including painters and 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 checkers and cameramen were only like 300, 350 people. And they all mm-hmm. knew each other for years. So they had the assistant animators, which is what you would usually start as. Yeah. They were still all in their 40s. Wow. So there's a lot of gatekeeping going on. Oh, gatekeeping like crazy because, you know, they weren't going to get a new person. And so it wasn't until for after two years, I had been gone from one place to another. That one of the guys there, one of the studio people said, there's a studio... There, a, a university out in Long Island, New York Institute of Technology, and they're doing a film called Tubby the Tuba, and they've got some uh, of they've got Fleischer and 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 Terry Toon animators there, but they also wants to train some young people to do the in betweens and such. So oh, that's smart. That's a great way to do it too, just yeah. to get like. You gotta you gotta pass this field on to someone. Yeah, well, that was it. But but you know what? Dr. Alexander Shaw was running that, and there on that campus, while they were doing they were doing Tubby the Tuba because 
they were they were pulling together, trying to figure out what are the issues with with computer animation taking being able to do that job. And down mm. ac- and across the campus is oh Edmund Catmull, mm-hmm. and so and so. And that from that for him from his studies and hit now they developed the cap system and that's where you get you also get Photoshop out of that because they were doing the first stuff there the drawing there yeah. and then also oh he became in charge of with with he was hired in by Lucas and that became Industrial Light and Magic and then that wow. became Luke, DreamWorks yeah Lucasfilm. Yeah. yeah Lucasfilm all of that. All, you know, all, all of, you know, all of that is, is, you know, you get Toy Story story out yep. of that. Mm-hmm. That's all part of, out, out of the campus work that was done. And I'm starting there, you know, at Tubby the Tuba yeah. and working under this, the old, the old studio system of apprenticing, mm-hmm. learning on the job drawing. And so I did that. It was, it was a four and a half hour round trip every day. To go from Brooklyn to to Penn Station and then down all back across to the, the edge of, of of Long Island, Old Westbury, Long Island, four and a half hour round trip. Did that every day for fourteen months. Wow! But that's got to be like such an amazing feeling to do it too, oh, yeah. because like it's yeah. it's everything you want. It's everything yes. you wanted to do. Yeah. When you and and you pay for. I mean, if you're willing to, if if you. It's not just apply yourself, but understanding the risk taking it takes to go and and get the knowledge necessary. Yeah. So I I I I mean, I I, I it was a, it was a it was a job. It, it actually a, a job. It was thirty drawings a day that you had to do that were quality. <laughs> That was production work. So you learned how to draw. You learned what, how to all the various stages of that mm-hmm. of of the of production, mm-hmm. and and so you do that. But I gave myself, and this is the thing. At the age of, I got this job when I was about twenty five years old. Right. Okay. And that's after two years of trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Took that. I said, okay. By the time I'm 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 thirty. By the time I'm I'm 30. I better, you know, I, I should, if I don't see pre- any kind of progress in the field, then I'll have to look for something else. So I gave myself yeah. a five-year plan. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So, so what, so through all of this working, working there for four, for 14 months, you said? Yes. So working for, through all of that, what eventually was the opening that led you to this random special of all things. I mean, like, okay. you know, Star Wars itself, you know, comes out set in May of 77, sets yeah. the entire world like yeah. on fire. Yeah. Everyone, all of a sudden, you know, like yeah. it becomes like this amazing thing. I, you know, like now me, like I was born in 76. So I, you know, like my introduction to this world came during the first re-release in 78. Okay. That was when, that was when my father took us all to see it. That was my introduction to John Williams' music, mm-hmm. first piece of music that I remember hearing, mm-hmm. and my introduction really to this world that I couldn't really grasp until I was about six. Mm-hmm. But a holiday special, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like as an interesting, interesting little twist there. But and then not only that, but then there's this 
animation feat segment that's right in the middle of it mm-hmm. that's introducing this other character out of nowhere. And so yeah. How how did how did you how get did that go? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let me let me let me try and get it in 60 seconds, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, my reason the the reason that I okay, so I had a 14 months of feature film experience in New York City, okay? Raggedy Ann and Andy, which Richard Williams was directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Williams eventually went on to direct, you know, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Okay. So they're hiring up in New York, back in New York City, you know, in Manhattan. So I go in and say, okay, I've had 14 months of this. I'm kind of tired of it. I'd like to go someplace where it's a little closer. So I knew, you know, I, I, they were looking for all the all the local young animated, young artists that were had some sort of experience. So I got hired on pure on because I had my 14 months of experience as an as a feature animation i wound mm-hmm. up there and it's through through that place of being there that that jerry potterton took over for richard williams and he walks in i've had so i've not now i've had now another i'll have another nine months of of, of feature animation i've had almost 23 two years of uh, of of feature animation experience i walk in he's he, he walks into my room i'm working away he says does anybody want to go to canada you know he says why and he, he said well because a friend of mine has a studio up there and one of his animators broke his wrist and he needs somebody quickly and so wow. i thought the guy who was working for me you know would it was canadian i said well, you'd like to go back up home, right? He says, no. He says, I'm from Montreal. I don't want to go to Toronto. So I said, <laughs> I'll go. That's how within two weeks, I'm up at Nelvana working yeah. on Cosmic Christmas. Come back there as you know, leave, go back to work at, at uh, I get, I, I go after leaving at that, go to Los Angeles to work at the Patty Freeling, because Chris Freeling had, had hired me on as an animator. The director, the one of the primary owners of Nelvana, gets searches me out, finds me, and asks me to come back to Nelvana to go to work on devout on working on the feature film for them that they're going to do is be rock and rule, and that's how I wound up at Nelvana at the time when when Lucas had seen Star at uh, the 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 Cosmic Christmas that I worked on. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Okay, I want those people to work to do on the holiday special because they are they are up and coming and they get it." Nice, nice. That's how that's, I got there. Wow, wow. You that's see, awesome. you have to put yourself. But it, it wasn't. I went to. I, I go. I, I'm, I'm traveling through for 14 months. You know, as I did to to yeah. to Long Island. Then I go back to New York. I go to Los Angeles and that I'll go to Canada, go to Los Angeles and then wind up back into Canada. So yeah. you can't just do it. But the, it's a different thing than today. OK, because mm-hmm. everything is done basically through the screen. But you mm-hmm. know what? The human interaction is a total missing element to how an artist can create and develop because it's not yes. just about looking at the screen. It's right. picking up the vibes and being interactive with each other on a daily basis. 
it's it's so collaborative yeah like it's you miss the collaboration element yeah when when you're just sitting there doing doing your own thing Mm -hmm. like it's it's amazing to be able to do your own thing there's no getting around there's no you know denigrating that at all but when you're working on a project that requires a team of people working on it together Mm -hmm. there's something there's a different vibe that comes with everyone in the same place Yes. working on it. It's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like with with animation, you know, like the the boom that happened in animation in the 1980s yeah. with all of these different amazing shows that were coming out and they were all really brought to life by a group of voice actors all like in the same studio and mm-hmm. not taking turns in there. Yeah. And and you know just going into their own spot. You know, like they're right. able to collaborate with each other and you know and have fun with each other and you know and you know mm-hmm. even like pulling even something simple as like pulling pranks on each other or whatever you right. know like you know messing with the with the voice director you know like mm-hmm. it's there's there's a there's a camaraderie mm-hmm. that, co- that comes yeah. that comes in, into play there yeah and, and the thing about it is that if you have a if you have a group of people that that work know how to work off of each other that's yeah. the important thing. You do have to have it's a relay, you know, and yeah. that's yeah. that, it's a very important. This the the sense of we at Nelvana we thought of ourselves as the rock and roll studio, and for mm-hmm. a brief period of time, from 1977 until until 83, yes, that's what we were. When we did wow. rock and roll, I mean. Mm-hmm. That is the rock that that is the Rocky Horror Picture Show of animation, right? You know, you know, you 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 have all these characters, all the and musically, okay, you've got mm-hmm. Deborah Harry, Cheap Trick, Earth, Wind and Fire, Lou Reed, and Iggy Pop. That was oh. our soundtrack. Yeah, all original material. Mm-hmm. So oh. and 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 we didn't have we didn't have the computers. It mm-hmm. was still basically what we were doing hand drawn yeah and the oldest one you know was maybe the only uh, I, I was one of the oldest <laughs> <animators>. <laughs> which is crazy yeah that's wild yeah. that's that's so cool so while you're working on on the on the special and everything you know getting this bringing this character boba fett to yeah. to life yeah what was that experience? Did you feel like, you know, this could be someone that, I mean, granted, they're really what all we had in terms of Star Wars was just one movie. It was we called one movie. Star Wars. It was yeah. called Star Wars. Yeah. They That's didn't, it. They, it, it didn't become no episode it was, four. It was yeah. nothing. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so we thought, we thought, well, okay, this looks like a, this is, they're going to do, they're going to test out, we said, thought, this is going to be the major villain for the next mm-hmm. one. Yeah. You know, because 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 Darth Vader had been you know knocked out into into you know somewhere into in space and whatnot. So we'll, we'll do another character. So mm-hmm. so we thought okay, and basically we were given several different. Well, it was pretty straightforward direction, which was Lucas, you know, wrote the script with somebody else. Okay, mm-hmm. we had that script, and we got the direction was Mobius. From the style mm-hmm. of Mobius in heavy metal. Yep. And and let's see what. Oh yeah. And a black and white videotape of of you know the sound man dressed up in the white you know Boba Fett 
yeah. costume, and that mm-hmm. was it. That mm-hmm. was it. And it didn't say anything about you need to do this, move it this way. I want this motion picture here. When I when I went through the script, I was, you know, I said, okay, I was supposed to do the first villain. I was supposed to do the villain for Devil and Daniel Mouse, supposed to be doing the, the devil. That mm-hmm. that didn't happen. So I, I got dibs on the villain. So that's how I got it, you know, nice. both with Boba Fett. And I knew that it was something special because everything then was new. Mm-hmm. And then you get a chance to, when you read something, you say, oh, this is going to be cool. Okay. Well, we had a script. You know, when you have a script, you get some stage direction that they, they, the writer is put in. And, yeah. for example, I would write down notes and say, okay, here's where I think the character should be this way. I need some some mannerisms about, you know, I had him, you know, I I, I thought of him as Jack Palance in Shane. Shane. Yeah. That's what I thought of him as. Mm. That's a, I good, that's a great as, analogy there. That's a because he didn't say, say much. Yeah. But he he moved very quietly, but mm-hmm. he had a raw bone expect, you know, feeling about him and he had a sense of danger. Mhm. You know? Yeah. But he had to and so I I did the thing with 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 holding his, you know, fingering you know, even though back then there were only three fingers. <laughs> you know, but anyway, and a little quick aside, they said, well, how come he only has only four fingers instead of five? And I said, he's an alien. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, yeah. so so with all of that, I, I thought of him as a gunslinger. I mm-hmm. thought of him as, as Jack Palance and then also an element of spaghetti westerns because that was just Mm-hmm. coming up at that time also yeah. and his voice also kind of lends itself a little bit to to jack balance as well well like, yeah what you know yeah, that even was, like uh, in in the in the animation segment and in the movies as well yeah well the the voice is different it was it was one of our one of a very good don franks he yeah. did the voice for that for mm-hmm. uh, for for uh for boba he also did he did villain voices, you know, for us, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the Devil and Daniel Mouse. He did the Devil. It was a, it was a great, nice. great, a great voice. He passed away passed away several years ago, but still, yeah, he, he was a great, great talent. And voice acting, you know, it takes a certain talent, and you need need to be able to feed off of that to do mm-hmm. your animation. Because yeah. if you've just got flat readings, and and you know, just you go, oh. What am I supposed to do with this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause one, yeah, you need that, you know, that liveliness and that really kind of, sh- that kind of pushes through. And in a lot of cases you have to go way over the top. Oh to yeah. Try to try to get it. So that way, and that's why like with a lot of, you know, with a lot of an- animated shows that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, those, those animated voices will just go like up and down, up and down, up and down. because they got to keep that, keep, keep the voices just as animated. Right. As yes. Well. Yeah. Oh, well, and the thing is that that helps you do stuff. There is, you know, the element of when there is, is there's only there's so, only just so much as joke t- telling. It could be it might as well be a Jack Benny radio show, mm-hmm. you know, where all the lines play off of each other. You don't need animation. I mean, basically, yeah. that's what the Flintstones was. It was radio 
honeymooners. It was, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, complete with a laugh track. Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so the special comes out. You know, yeah. it, it it is it is what it is. Like the one thing that 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 a lot of people really you know kind of grasp onto was mm-hmm. that animation segment. Right. What were your thoughts like when it came out? Okay, when I after the first thirty seconds, after I mean, I I thought. This is odd. You know, <laughs> about the live action. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, this is odd. I, I didn't expect mm-hmm. it to be. Uh, I mean, yeah, they did all sorts of things like that, you know, when they did mute, but, but a musical? Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, this is interesting. Yeah. I do know that in the, in the, the opening credits where they're introducing what's going to be gone, they do show Boba Fett slapping, you know, whacking the, his steed. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I did, I I put into that because that wasn't a stage direction by from Lucas. What he did was he said that that Boba Fett punches the the steed, you know, his his dragon in the nose. Well, as you can see, there was no way he was going to be able to do that. Right, just like what is it supposed to do? Just like reach over and you know that yeah, looks. Yeah, how is that, that looks bad? So that's why I started playing with the rifle. Yeah. You know, tossing it back and forth, and that goes back to my days in trick drill. At, at I was a military high school, and we did we used M ones and blades, and we did trick drill. So I knew how to throw toss those. Nice, things. <laughs> that's great. You know. So anyway, so so you, you see that, but those are the things that you do is, is you say, okay, what's my business? But when I saw that, I saw that little, I saw that they showed the clip. Okay, okay, so it's going to be on there. Midway through the through the live action, and by the time it was like halfway through, I thought, "Oh my lord! I hope people are still tuned in." Mm. I mean, there's a yeah. there's no way of getting yeah, there's around a, it. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, Lucas himself had yes. said yes. that if he could track down every copy and destroy yeah. it with a hammer, he would. You know, like that's right. you know. But at the same time, it's the animation segment that made its way to the first Blu-ray release. Yes. Yes. So, you know, like, so there is something to be said for that. Like yeah, there was the energy is there. I mean, yeah. everything is there. There is nothing that, that show that, that nine minute segment still holds up today. Mm-hmm. For, you know, 50 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Very much so. I agree. I agree. I definitely yeah. agree with so that. It's, it's not, there is nothing in, in, in actuality. I mean, if it didn't take, it took us, the animation was done in like only like six to seven weeks. Wow. That, that we did the actual physical animation. Cause we were, we were doing plan, we planned stuff or we, you know, we were, you know, doing what we could. So a lot of the stuff is, is there as fast as, in fact, it's better than what you had coming out of Hollywood. For mm-hmm. TV, yeah, you know, so and and you're talking about by that time. Now remember, the date is I'm working on this in in say June of May and June of of 1978. Yeah, I'd only been I'd started in 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 March of 1975 as a rank beginner. So. Wow. From from there's it's three years 
from the time I started learning to the time I'm doing Boba Fett. That's mm-hmm. three years. And we're all young people. I'm 28 years old at the time. And we're just running on, on energy. Yeah. And just yeah. And, and making it up as we go along. <laughs> we, I, never saw, I never saw a pencil test. Yeah, really? There were no tests. Yes. There were no pencil tests. It, it, they okayed it themselves. And, and that was it. Wow. I, I never I never saw anything. We just just did just did it. Just kept on going. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. And then so from what so from what period of time did you start kind of exploring the notion of coming up with your own stories? Well, I've always been doing I was always doing kind of comic strippy things and but in terms of my own stories, I would say I really consciously started going away from the gag a, gag a day scripts with some little thing back in the late eighties started mm-hmm. playing around with it. And then in the nineties started writing more, you know, actual story stories. And then mm-hmm. it's a comic book thing. And then, but I wound up writing five crime fiction novels with my wife, Kathy. Oh, wow. And so in the nineties, we self published them. And, nice. you know, we were in bookstores, in Barnes and mm-hmm. Noble, where everything, we self-published these things and we got in. And so I started developing my ability to tell a narrative and have multiple characters. But I was taking stuff that I had learned from what, from working on feature films and, and TV shows and whatnot and knowing scripts mm-hmm. to how to put together film and, and do things somatic, cinematically. And so I got nice. to... I developed that. the The ultimate was the last novel we did, which was the name of the father. It got it got reviewed in the Chicago Tribune. Oh, that's fabulous! Yes, and wow. it, it was it was it is a it's a great review. The guy who was his oh I can't remember he was he was the editor and he was in charge of the uh, the mystery section reviewers for the Chicago Tribune, and he refuted as. Something have a great amount, an amazing amount of, of, of heft and weight to the characters. And they all was very, very, very cinematic, noirish characters like Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake and all these. He's making references to everybody that could have been playing these characters that we did. So I learned how to do my stories. And then mm-hmm. it was just trying to find thing, you know, something that I could really get into besides the the crime fiction novels, which we stopped doing in 2001 just because of the way the business was went. And so yeah. it wasn't until like 2013 that I decided to do the novella, which was the original Bloodwing Angel novella that I did. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so any thoughts of, any thoughts of, of reviving the books that you would, that you had worked on before that self-published back in the day? I still have copies. I could put them up on, at some point. I could put them up by John Celestry Comics dot square. But the mm-hmm. idea is, you know, the world is different. You know, yeah. I, my focus is on Bloodwing Angel because I only have so much energy to do that. I'm doing yeah everything. one thing at a time, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm 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 carrying on with with Fire Fist because I think there's a lot more that I want to say with it. Instead mm-hmm. of it, ju- instead of it, you know, focusing on 
and crime fiction. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I can I, the, the 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 work is is very noir can be very noirish in the black yeah. and white you know at, you know attitude and, and, and approach with the comics. So very cool. Very cool. Now, if there was, if you were to encounter someone who is, who wants to go on like the same sort of journey that you have gone in terms of whether it's comics creation, whether it's animation, whether it's like any, you know, any general type of storytelling, Mm -hmm. what is it that you would say is the first thing that they should concentrate on? Okay. Read, read classics. Mm-hmm. read stuff because a lot of people want to write stories and they have never read any stories you mm-hmm. know they, they're, they're looking at what they have seen if you're watching stuff okay if you if you have to limit to one show okay yeah. deadwood mm. deadwood because it's got everything in it it has character it has strife it mm-hmm. has historical context and it's got richness to it mm. yeah analyze those things and it's not just the 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 the, the shakespearean-esque soliloquies that mm-hmm. would go on it's the conflict it's what are they what's going on with with personalities and characters learn study that yeah okay if you're going to study the, uh, a film, a, a, mm-hmm. there there are what close to thirty episodes of it, I think, or like you know thirty some odd episodes. Couple of, of you it. know, a couple of seasons worth. You know, like it's yes. very you know, it can be very binge worthy. Yes, and, but yeah. but the thing is, read the scripts. Yeah, read the scripts and then study them. There are ways. There's also you know. How to write a script is is different, you know, in terms of the format and all that. That's true. If if you're talking writing story, just pure story, whether it be a novel or what have you, study that. But also Mm -hmm. the classics in terms of Fahrenheit four fifty, you know, four fifty one. You're Ray Bradbury. Read Ray Bradbury. Read Edgar Edgar Rice Burroughs. Mm. Tarzan, yeah. Well, the Princess of Mars, the, the, the John Carter John, series. The John Carter series, yeah. The John Carter series creates the world. All of our science fiction today comes out of that. Yeah. That and H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. Go back to that and see what it's like, because it's very spare writing, but it's still, it, there's a lot going on. A lot of detail, yeah. A lot of world yeah. building and yeah. and. It it grabs you in a way that that some yeah. that fewer books do nowadays. Yes, yes. And so, if, if you want to look how to write something simply, you know, and, and story plot wise and whatnot, you do that. You can see, as I said, character development. Mm-hmm. It is have a wide range of of interests, and that just don't go for one thing because genre fiction only keeps following certain paths. Yeah. If you want, if you have a story that is cross genres. Well, you know, put your own interests in it, but also expand your horizons because that's what you have to do. Coming me for coming into comic books. I had not read a comic book actually in, into comics since 
1965. Wow. Yeah, I was coming from the Jack from the Jack Kirby school of from 19 for the 1950s and mm-hmm. the early 60s of Marvel where that yeah. was that writing was different than what you have today. Right. The writing I mean, you look at the first 10 Okay, we're talking to pull out something here. Look yeah. at the first 10 issues and you can get them in reprint form of the Fantastic Four and you'll see character family strife going on in a very simple form but also mm-hmm. the love the 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 the, the triangle between Sue Gra- uh, Sue Storm Rich, Reed Richards and Namor the Submariner mm. how there there's a triangle going on there and then you see yeah. the original also we'll see the original Darth Vader in Doctor Doom there you go yeah absolutely absolutely and where can where can my listeners find you on social media just type in John Celestri and I'm everywhere. You can go to my John Celestri tree, you know, mm-hmm. I'm on there and you find everything there. And my come in and, and sign up for my newsletter. Mm-hmm. That is just, I'm launching it this week. It's John Celestri comics.square and you'll, you know, sign up for my newsletter and you'll get, you know, you'll get me not just for, what what comics I'm coming up with, but I'll be telling stories about what it was like being a young artist in the '60s, '70s, '80s. Oh, that's great. So, so yeah, that's great. And yeah, this is what this is what it's all about. It's about finding what it is that drives you, you know, and putting all of your work into it, and making sure that you are that you know your craft as much as possible, and. It's just, it's it's amazing what can happen mm-hmm. if you are prepared when those opportunities come up, and that is what that is what John has experienced. That is what I hope all of you experience in life. Just put in the work, do everything that you can to improve to get your craft to the point where you will be recognized for what it is that you do. And all of a sudden you're going to be swept. You're going to find yourself swept up into something that is not going to feel like work at all, but it will be the, it will be the absolute driving force of your passions. It's going to keep you going and it's going to put you in situations that you have never thought possible. And so we're going to continue this conversation over in the monthly membership section. But for now, for John Celestri, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com. 